Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming from a hotel room in Philadelphia where I'm at for uh, Warriors uh, Sixers tonight, followed by Warriors Wizards in Washington tomorrow. And then I'll be in Washington for a few days and I'm going to New York for uh, Warriors uh, Knicks on Sunday. Get a chance to go home for a few days. So we'll be good to be uh, good to be back in the Northeast, back, uh, back in my home environs for a few days um, before I go back out West. Um, did a mailbag pod with a bunch of questions I got over the last few days. Thanks to everybody at NBA Reddit and a few questions from Twitter. Appreciate that. But, uh, before I get into the questions, uh, just as I was getting ready to finish editing the pod news came out that Kyle Lowry is out for, you know, possibly the rest of the regular season, or certainly at least the next month, uh, after undergoing wrist surgery. Fascinating, uh, situation now. Toronto had really just won the trade deadline. Um, looked terrific. Uh, and now they have to kind of start over with with uh, with, uh, with Lowry out for a month. Um, really leaves them in an interesting spot. Uh, they, they were hoping to catch up to the Wizards and get into that at least the third seed, maybe move up even higher. Uh, without Lowry for a month, you have to think that the Raptors are going to have trouble doing that. Um, still have a lot of talent on the team, still should be pretty good. But, you know, they just made a couple trades, added some pieces, and now, you know, they, they lose their most important player for the next month. You know, it, it will be fascinating to see where they end up. I mean, is it possible that they slip down the standings a little bit? Uh, I don't really think that it is. I mean, if you look right now, uh, as we said on Monday, um, t- Toronto is in fourth place in the East. They're, they're, uh, they're percentage points behind the Wizards for third. Um, they're five games ahead of uh, the Bulls and Pacers tied for sixth. I don't really see them falling that far. Those teams down there are not good enough to make a move anyway. So, um, you know, Atlanta's in fifth. Could they maybe fall behind Atlanta in the first round? Yes, I could see that. Um, but my guess is Toronto, you know, could even still potentially wind up in that in that uh, that that one four matchup in the first round um, or in the second round, and maybe they squeak into the third seed. My, my guess is they probably finish that four five. Uh, they they probably fall behind uh, Atlanta. They play um, they play the Hawks in the first round. I think they beat the Hawks, and they play probably Cleveland in the second round. Um, you know, and they, they clearly wanted to get in that two three to have a chance to get to the conference finals. So I mean, for me. I would love to see, you know, as long as those top four teams, Cleveland, Boston, Washington, Toronto, get into the top four in any any order, I think the final two rounds of the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be great for the first time in a while. Uh, those are two series I will watch every game of. I, I will not be, especially, you know, from a neutral perspective. I mean, this Boston-Washington rivalry is pretty comical. But look, uh, you know, we had the, the, the funeral game in D.C. a couple weeks ago, or I guess a month or two ago now, and the, the Wizards all showed up in all black for a ridiculous regular season game and won. Um, you know, so that would be fun. Uh, but Boston-Toronto have developed quite a robbery. That would be fun. I mean, it, it, that'll just be a really fun matchup. So either way, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, really big news. Uh, I'd be curious to see how it all shakes out for the for the East and for the Raptors moving forward, especially trying to work these new pieces in. But, um, you know, so with that, we'll uh, we'll get to the rest of the questions we had from, uh, from today's pod and go from there. What players should the Pelicans target this offseason to fill out their roster around Boogie and Brow? Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in New Orleans. Falcons are now 0-3 after losing last night uh, to the Thunder since the All-Star break. They had a really tough schedule coming out of the break. Six of the first eight games, I think, were against winning teams. They played Oklahoma City. They played, already played, already lost to Dallas and Houston. They played Utah. They played Toronto. They played San Antonio. Um, so they had a tough slate to come out the break, and you know, it's going to be tough for them to get into the playoffs. But I'm assuming they keep Drew Holiday, which is the, the, key, the real key for them. 
they're going to need to find as much shooting and defense on the perimeter as they can. Um, you know, losing Omri Caspi hurt. He's a guy that I think they could have re-signed. Um, I understood why they cut him because they're trying to make the playoffs. But to me, I would have I would have left the I would have left him on the team and had a chance to potentially re-sign him this summer. Um, so I, you know, that personally, that's what I would have done. Um, but I, I think if you look up and down their roster, they need to find as many shooters, uh, you know, as many you know quote unquote three and D guys as they can. Uh, to try to give as much space into that that Davis Cousins combination because those guys both you know can get out to the perimeter, but they you know they're they're going to need to space the floor around them as much as they can. So you know those are those are the kind of guys that they should target. I haven't really studied you know the the, the lower end of the market that closely to see who's out there, but you know they should. That's those are the kind of players they should definitely be targeting to try to fill out the uh, to try to fill out the rest of their team. Uh, do I still think Boston should have picked Chris Dunn with the third pick? Um, Dunn has not had a great year. None of the rookies in this class really have. I still like him a lot. I think he could be very good. I think Jalen Brown could be good too. Um, you know, the draft is always kind of an amorphous thing, so you're never really sure how it's going to play out once once you get into it. But um, I, I think Dunn can be a good player. Uh, I would have taken him third. I, I think I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason to really change that at this point. Um, but Jamal Murray's been really good. I, I mean, he. He looks like he might be the second best prospect in this class, you know, behind, you know, still assuming Ben Simmons is the, the top one. So, um, you know, it, it uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see exactly how, how that all shakes out over time, but I don't think there's any reason for me to come off of that, uh, off of that position yet. Uh, why do you think GMs value the presence of veteran veterans or decent players on expiring contracts more than the general NBA fan when the team, when their team is a non-contender? Um, Teams like to have veterans on their rosters because they give them, you know, especially especially teams that are out of the playoffs. The, the teams that keep guys, uh, they're guys that are good in the locker room and are good at, at setting an example for younger players. Like, you know, some of the some of the examples in this in this uh, this question later on were kind of flawed for this, but you know, like for example, like Tyson Chandler in, in Phoenix, you know. Could Phoenix have gotten some for Tyson Chandler? Maybe his contract's not that great, so I, I don't know if they could have. But you know, when you've got Dragon Bender and Marcus Chris and Devin Booker and a lot of these young guys, you know, that's why you go sign Jared Dudley and you have Tyson Chandler. You have some some true pros on your team that can show those guys the ropes, can kind of teach them about life in the NBA, can can show them the right things to do and to not do. Um, that that's really important in a locker room. Um, you know, it's stuff that it might not show up on the court, but you know, if you're gonna have a really good team. You need to have guys that are all committed to doing their work and doing it the right way and growing as players and and not getting lost in some of the other stuff that can happen around the NBA and, and off the court stuff. And, you know, that's why, you know, having having some vets around that can, you know, can show you the right way to do things is important. And, and that that is something that sometimes tends to be overlooked by fans when they just go, no, we should just go get a pick for this guy. Um, you know, and a lot of times, you know, teams maybe are too are too reticent to, to trade a guy for a pick in those spots. But, you know, I think, you know, I think in Phoenix, for example, you saw PJ Tucker get moved. Uh, you saw, you know, you saw some of these other guys get moved for picks at the deadline that, that people thought might stick. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, having, having some vets around to show some of the young guys the ropes is definitely a good thing. Are the Spurs better with Pau Gasol or better without Pau Gasol? This is a complicated question. Pau Gasol is a very good player still. He's an excellent scorer. He's improved his range out the three-point range a little bit. He's currently out with a finger injury right now, but um, or at least he wasn't at the All-Star break. I actually haven't seen if he's come back. I don't think he has. But um, I I think that they are going to be better when Pau's on the bench during the playoffs. Um, 
I think the combination of Tony Parker and Pau Gasol in a playoff series is going to be a disaster for San Antonio defensively. I just think teams are going to put those two guys in one five pick and rolls and they're not going to be able to do anything about it. Um, to me, you know, they might be better if they have Patty Mills and Dwayne Dedman on the court uh, with, you know, Danny Green, Kawhi Leonard and, and Lamarck Saldridge, and they've got some more defense and, and, uh, and, and athleticism and shot blocking on the court. So, you know, to me, that that could be a problem for them. It'll be very interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Greg Popovich would be willing to kind of go that drastically and, and maybe not play Powell as much or bench him or something. But um, that I, I do think that that could be a problem for San Antonio, and I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Uh, what is Drew Holiday's market after Chris Paul's verbal commitment? Uh, Drew Holiday's going to get paid. That That's Drew Holiday's market. Uh, I don't know if Chris Paul's necessarily going to stay with the Clippers. I mean, who knows with these verbal commitment things. I mean, DeMarcus... There was, you know, there were reports, you know, I think accurate at the time, reports a month ago that DeMarcus Cousins was going to get a $200 million extension in July, and then he got traded. So, um, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out with Chris. But, I mean, look, Drew Holiday, if, if Chris Paul leaves the Clippers, he's the number one point guard, you know, he's the number two point guard in the market. If, if Chris Paul does, you know, if he is committed to staying in L.A., you know, Drew Holiday's the top point guard available, and he's going to have a ton of suitors. I mean, you could argue he could probably get a max contract now from the Pelicans because they have to keep him. Like, they're... They've, they've traded for DeMarcus. They're pot committed on this team. They need to keep those three guys. So you could argue he could get a max from them. Uh, I think the Chicago Bulls should be very interested in him, even though they just traded for Cameron Payne. They need a point guard. The New York Knicks need a point guard. They have money. They should be interested. Um, you know, I, you know, Kyle Lowry is going to be on the market also. So it'll, you know, that will, that could cut into his, his market share a little bit. Kyle's another guy that, that could potentially be on the move. You know, I, I, I think he stays in Toronto, but um, I also don't think that's a guarantee. I think the team in the city I'm in right now, the Philadelphia 76ers, are going to make a run at Kyle. Um, they could make a run at Drew too. They, they, you know, it would be he would be a good fit here, um, and they're going to have a ton of money to spend to be interested in that. It would be kind of fascinating if Drew decided to come back to the Sixers after they traded him a few years ago under Sam Hankey. Um, so, in short, I think Drew Holiday is going to have a ton of suitors. I think he's going to have a ton of options, of places to go. My guess is he gets a, a full max to stay with the with the Pelicans or close to it um, because they are you know, backed up against a wall and they don't have a choice. They absolutely have to keep him because if they don't, they don't have any way to really replace him. And with DeMarcus there, with Anthony Davis there, they need Drew there. And, and so my guess is he sticks around, but he is going to get well paid to do so either there or elsewhere. What new trends have you noticed during this trade season? How has the CBA affected team behavior? Another very interesting question. I think if you look at this DeMarcus Cousins trade, it's a very good example of a team looking at the situation they're in saying, Man, we're going to have to pay DeMarcus $200 million in July as with this designated player extension, and we don't want to do it. So instead of paying him, they turned around and shipped him out for um, you know not a great return. And a lot of that was because they didn't want to be stuck paying him that contract. It actually worked in the inverse of how it's supposed to, where having that, you know, having that carrot on the table is supposed to entice teams to be willing to hang on to their guys and pay them. Um you know, which is kind of fascinating. Now, that I think is more of an isolated incident because you know circumstance because of the uh, of the fact that Demarcus has had some personality issues with some people there. So you know, I, I think that's a little different than in terms of just straight talent. But you know, I think you look at Paul George, right? If the Pacers didn't have the ability to give Paul George this massive extension, um, I, I think it 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 really would be fascinating uh, to see what the Pacers would have done because. Their leverage in keeping him essentially comes down to if we could give Paul this $200 million extension, he's going to stick around. But it's also unclear Paul's going to qualify for it. Um, so I think that that is the first thing so far that you've seen where teams really 
Um, th that was the one thing you saw where teams were really impacted by that rule. The other thing you saw was the team started to shed money uh, in anticipation of having to pay guys later. Um, you look at uh, you look at what the the, war the Wizards did moving on from uh, moving on from Andrew Nicholson's contract to clear to make sure they had enough room to to properly pay Otto Porter this summer. Um, I you know I think you're going to see a lot of teams shedding money um, over the next year because the, the salary cap is going to flatten out and some of these contracts that got signed last summer are going to look pretty bad. So I, I think that's something else that you have to factor in as a uh, as a possibility for people moving forward too. Um, can you give exa some examples of how Rob Palinka is viewed around the league and what will it take for him to succeed as the Lakers general manager? Palinka is a very well-respected agent. He's obviously Kobe Bryant's agent. Um, he's a, you know, big time, big time guy on that level. Um, he, because of that, he knows the landscape in DC or in DC. And, uh, he knows the landscape in, in Los Angeles very well. He's tight with Jeannie Buss. He, he knows Magic Johnson. Um, you know, people that don't, people don't probably don't know much about Rob Plink. He actually played on the Fab Five. Uh, he actually played on the Fab Five. Um, you know, was, was a member of that team with, with Chris Weber and Jalen Rose and Juwan Howard and um, was, was part of that. So, you know, he has a very, a very fascinating back, basketball history. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it was really, um, it, it, it will be really fascinating to see how that plays out. I think that, you know, if he is allowed to do the job, um, if he's allowed to do the job, then I think this has a chance to be a really interesting experiment. But, uh, if Magic Johnson is in charge, if he's the one calling most of the shots, then, you know, I, I think that this could, this could really go sideways in a hurry. So to me, how this is going to play out is going to come down to do the Lakers and do Magic Johnson, Jeannie Buss, you know, truly give, uh, plenty of the kind of autonomy that say Bob Myers does with the Golden State Warriors, another former agent turned turned uh, general manager to actually run the team. And they're more of in a, you know, we're going to chase after free agents and, and uh, you know, kind of be the, the public faces of this role. If it's like that, I think it'd be really good. If it's magic is calling the shots and Rob is like doing his bidding. And then I think that could be trouble. Do I still think Isaiah Thomas is a fake all-star? This is never going away from insane Celtics fans. Um, I said on a podcast this past summer with Jared Weiss and Danny LaRue, uh, Danny's one of Danny's podcasts that, uh, that I thought Isaiah Thomas was a fake all-star last year in quotes. Uh, it was a throwaway line referring to the fact that Isaiah Thomas was a borderline all-star candidate in a down year for all-stars last year. And that if other players had not been hurt, he probably would not have been an all-star last year. And uh, I thought it was just kind of a one-off thing that he was not going to be able to replicate. Uh, he then got, significantly better this year and kind of a stunning development to anybody who was paying attention and moved on to become a definite all-star and has been a great player this year. Um, so I, I don't really distant, I don't, I'm not going to really run away from what I said. I believed it at the time. And I, I think it's more just a credit to the fact that Isaiah has done an amazing job this year at taking his game to another level and doing stuff that I didn't think he was capable of doing. Uh, does he still have flaws as a player? Absolutely. He obviously, you know, people know my thoughts on his defense, which are well documented and have, have been an issue. But the bottom line is he's a scoring machine and has got the Celtics playing as well as anybody in the league. And, you know, he deserves a lot of credit for that. So, um, so that's the take on that. What do you think of Deontay Murray on the Spurs? Do you think he'd become a franchise cornerstone for the Spurs at four or five years? I think it's probably a lot to, to assume that Murray can become a, a cornerstone for the Spurs after being the 30th pick in the draft or the 29th pick, whichever it was. But that being said, here's a really long athletic point guard that can that can do some fun things with the ball. Um, he's a guy that if he'd come back to school, I think he'd be drafted a lot higher than, than where he was. Um, but he's in a good space in San Antonio. 
Um, good, obviously a good developmental franchise can, can help kind of have him learn the ropes and in a couple of years, maybe be able to step up and be their starting point guard long-term. Um, but he, he's an, a fascinating player with a fascinating, uh, fascinating game and the kind of guy that you usually don't see falling that far in the draft because of his athletic gifts. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was a nice pick for the Spurs. Good, good home run swing for them, uh, with a late first round pick. And if it works out, they're going to be really, really happy. And at least so far, he's shown some flashes of being uh, of being a pretty darn good player. With all their assets and young talent, do you think the Jazz will ever attempt to throw together a package for a superstar? Why or why not? I don't think so. Um, it's not really uh, it's not really the kind of move that Utah would make. Um, they they really the Jazz have always been a team that's kind of built you know from within. Uh, it's not a free agent destination. It's not a, a place you're going to necessarily trade for a guy and, and try to you know have him stay there. Uh, anybody that's ever played in Utah uh, raves about how great it is. Uh, I'm not exaggerating about this. If you talk to anybody who has played or played for the Jazz, they, they talk about how nice it is to live there. Um, you know, Park City is a, is a great place. A lot of the guys live there. Uh, they really enjoy living there. Darren Williams always used to talk about how great it was. Um, you know, so I, I don't think they're going to make a swing like that. I think their hope is that uh, I think their hope is that uh, they can keep Gordon Hayward and kind of build with this core going forward with him and Rudy Gobert and Rodney Hood and Derek Favors and you know if they can keep George Hill in free agency, um, you know that's uh, you know I think that that's uh, I think that that's more the way they're going to go. Um, but you know at the same time, you know uh, um, yeah no I think I think at the same time you know I guess if the right opportunity presented itself they might do that, but. Um, but that's, uh, you know, I think from, I think from, from their standpoint, I'd be very surprised if they, they really took a swing like that. They'd rather have the team they've got, have guys who are used to what they want to do and the way they want to play and the culture there and everything else and, and, ha- and kind of grow that way. So, um, you know, I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I'd be very surprised if they made a big swing like that. They'd rather, you know, I think their first order of business is going to be to make sure they hold on to Gordon Hayward this summer and, and really keep that, that core together for a long time. When you guys hang out in new cities, do you ever just sit down with listeners or readers? Uh, not normally. Um, I was actually joking around with uh, with Ethan Strauss about this last night. Uh, you know, that's not something we normally do, but um, you know, especially doing the the True Who Pod with with all those guys, with Ethan and all those guys. You know, it is always fun to run into people who enjoy this podcast or that podcast or my work. You know, it's always. It's always fun to uh, to meet anybody who who's a fan uh, and enjoys the the sport and what we do. So um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe at some point down the road we can do some kind of some kind of show like that, which would be fun. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But um, you know, if you ever do see me somewhere at an airport or a game or something, you can always feel free to say hello. Um, it's always fun to to hear from people. Um, should the Celtics trade for Paul George instead of Jimmy Butler? I, I, this, this to me came back to the question of who would you rather have Paul George or Jimmy Butler, which I think is kind of an interesting question. I would rather have Jimmy Butler. I I don't know how close it is. Uh, I think Jimmy right now is a better player. I think he's got an extra year on his contract. He's much more likely to make all NBA and qualify for the designated player extension. If you're the bulls in terms of being able to keep him. Um, So I I think that if one of those guys winds up being traded, I think it's going to be Paul George. And I, I would not be surprised if Jimmy Butler just winds up being on the bulls for a long time because he'll qualify for that rule and, they could keep him for a long time and keep building around him. What do you think the Nuggets will have to pay to re-sign Mason Plumley? I would say probably somewhere in the four to sixty to four to seventy-five range. Um, you know, I, that would be that would be my guess. Um, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I would say that that he's going to get paid pretty well. I think he's a you know a starting quality center. There aren't a lot of teams that need a center, but 
I could see teams thinking they might be able to get him from Denver because they they've already got a center on their team and 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 you know they're going to know center Denver's probably going to be willing to pay because they just traded you know a couple assets to get Plumlee. So my guess is Mason gets in the same ballpark as a lot of these other centers from last summer. The difference is that Mason is a better player than a lot of these guys. So um, so I think that it's a uh, I think that it's a uh, a really interesting um, I think it's a really interesting story to watch because. You know, when a team trades for a guy like Denver did with Plumlee, um, that's a situation where you look at it and go, that's a team that's going to want to keep him. So you could see teams try to up the price to try to make them pay more. And you can also see teams, you know, potentially just not do anything. And you could sit there for a while. But my guess is, is they have a pretty good framework of what they're going to do. And given that basically every center in the league signed last year between uh, $16 and $18 million a year, I'd be pretty surprised if Mason doesn't wind up in uh, somewhere in that that same ballpark. Who has a better nucleus, Lakers or Suns? Uh Booker, Warren, Bender, Chris, Len versus Clarkson, Nance, Ingram, Russell, Randall. I thought this was a really interesting question. Um, I thought this was a really interesting question because I I couldn't really decide which way I would go with it. I I think that Devin Booker is the best player among these two groups. So I would probably say I would rather have the Suns group. Um, But... You know, it's it's a the thing about them is I think Devin Booker is the best player. I I don't know if there's a there's either team has more than one possible real star player. Um, you know, I think Dragon Bender's got a chance to really develop into something. Um, you know, we'll see about Marquis Chris and T.J. Warren. You know, I I think Randall's going to become a really good player. Clarkson's a, a good sixth man. Um, Nance is a good bench piece. Um, Ingram and Russell are you know a little iffy at the moment. You know, a lot to develop there, but. Um, but they both should be good players. So I thought it was a fascinating question. I'm not really sure what the answer is. Um, it's one I might actually kind of ask around the league and kind of see what people think. But I, I think I'm leaning Phoenix because in a lot of these situations, I'd rather have the best player. And I think if I'm picking a draft of these 10 guys, I think I'm picking Devin Booker first. So so in that in that for that logic, I think I'm going to go a slight lean to, to Phoenix. Um, will the new CBA lead to more cases like the Cousins trade or was that kind of a one-off situation? I think that was a one-off situation. Like I said before, um, I think that, uh, I think that it's a situation where you look at DeMarcus, um, you look at the situation that he, he was in, in, in Sacramento with everything that went on there. I, I just don't really think it's a analogous to a lot of these other ones. I think, I think much more of them are going to be like the Paul George one where the Pacers really want to pay him that money. And it's just whether or not he qualifies for it. Uh, I, I think that's more the scenario you're going to see uh, moving forward than, uh, than anything else. What moves should the Timberwolves make this summer to compete for the playoffs next year? Minnesota's in a really fascinating spot. They obviously lost Zach Levine uh, for the season and probably for a lot of next season with a torn ACL, just a brutal injury. Um, they're they're going to have to make a decision on what they do with Andrew Wiggins. Are they going to give him, you know, a max contract extension this summer, um, which is what he's going to want? Um, you know, I think they need a, they need an upgraded power forward. You know, I could see them going after Serge Ibaka. I could see them going after Paul Millsap. I could see them going after Taj Gibson. Um, even though I'd, I'd rather of those three guys, I mean, they're, they all have their flaws as older players, um, at that position, but they need a power forward. Gorgie Jang is a backup center. I did not like the contract they gave him, uh, before the extension deadline, uh, back in October, they gave him a four year, $64 million contract. I didn't like it. He's a backup center for me. Uh, he's already older. I, I just didn't really get why they did that. Um, but they, they need, uh, they need a, a power forward and they need more shooting, uh, all over the court. Um, they they just don't have a lot. They need more of that. They need a, they need so those are I would say if they get a power forward, they could stretch the floor, a, a quality, legit starting power forward. 
They could get some more shooting. Um, you know, we'll see about point guard. You know, if could, maybe they can get a high pick in this year's draft to get one more young guy to go with that core. That'll help. Um, but they, you know, I, I would certainly expect them to take a jump next year. Uh, I, I thought they'd take a jump this year, as anybody listening to this knows. Uh, didn't quite work out that way, but we will um, we will see how that that shakes out over time. What are your thoughts on the potential of Thon Maker? Thon's an interesting prospect. Uh, potential stretch five guy that can play defense and shoot the three a little bit. Uh, as Nate Duncan has said many times, I don't think he's quite the uh, you know Kevin Durant kind of ball handler that I think some people thought he was. Uh, you know, a couple years ago when he kind of was this mysterious guy who had bounced around the world and was bursting out of the scene. Um, but you know, he's a, a big athletic kid who can who can block a shot and, and can shoot the three, and you know that gives him a lot of potential to be a really interesting piece. Uh, you know, the stretch five is kind of the uh, the unicorn guy in the league. You know, whether it's Chris S. Porzingis or uh, Carl Towns or Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic. I mean, these guys that can shoot the three. Uh, you know, Jokic can't play defense, but the other three can all shoot the three and protect the rim. And that that if you can have a seven footer that can do that, it really opens up your team to be able to do a lot of stuff and. You know, that's certainly what the, the Bucks are hoping with Maker. And look, you look at this draft and the night of the draft to talk to people in Milwaukee, they were like, look, this wasn't, you know, we didn't feel great. We're at the 10th pick. We figured, why not take a swing? And Thon would go in there and, and had some legendary pre-draft workouts there, worked out for like eight hours straight, was ready to keep going. They were just blown away by how how hard he worked and how how willing he was to to do whatever they asked him to do. And they got really excited about him. So, you know, I, I thought it was a good swing for them at the time. I was like, why not? You know, why not take a swing? And this draft has turned out to be pretty weak, at least thus far. And, you know, if Thon turns into a real player, you know, that you, they'll be thrilled to draft him with the 10th pick. Out of these three teams, who has the most dysfunctional front office, the Knicks, Kings, and Bulls? The Bulls are not in this conversation. The Bulls the Bulls have had some bad luck with draft picks, but the, the Bulls are a, a pretty solid foundational franchise in terms of how they do things. Um, they, they're not anywhere near the Knicks and the Kings. The Knicks and the Kings have their own category from the rest of the league at this point, but I, I think you have to go with Sacramento, uh, mainly mainly just because of, of the the meddling of the owner, Vivek Ranadive. I mean, it's just it's just unfortunate how you know that whole franchise has been you know just derailed by silliness there, and you know running through one coach and GM after another, and and so much roster turnover, so much personnel turnover in terms of evaluating players and prospects and. You know, that, that team needs a solid, stable foundation. I think Dave is a very good coach. I think that's a good start. Um, if they let Vladi Divac, you know, have a chance to kind of settle into the job as general manager, I think that will help. Um, but they need to uh, they need to, to give, give that team a chance to breathe and grow with a new, you know, solid foundation and not try to rush into making the eight seed every year, which is what they did the last two years making a series of terrible signings and trades that leave them in the position they're in now. So um, hopefully for Kings fans sake, they can have some, have some patience and and slowly build this thing and turn it into something. Cause if they don't, it's just going to remain a very painful time in Sacramento. All right, let's try to rip through a few more of these here. Will Brandon Jennings sign with a playoff team? I think so. Uh, I, I know uh, Stan Van Gundy said today he's going to sign with the Hornets after getting bought up on the Knicks, which is a odd odd fit, I think. But I think there's a, a good chance he ends up with the Washington Wizards. Wizards look for a point guard at the deadline, didn't get one. Um, Jennings would would help them be an upgrade on Trey Burke. You know, I, I could definitely see that happening for sure. Is Melo still adamant about being a Nick next season, and what's the best path for the team to go down going forward? The Knicks need to build around Chris S. Porzingis. I've been banging this drum since last summer. I don't know why. They went out and signed all these 31-year-old veterans like Joakim Noah and Courtney Lee and you know, all these guys. I mean, they, they should have been finding younger guys to or short-term guys to, to, to build around Porzingis and to transition away from, you know, guys like, you know, not trading 
you know, Jerry and Grant, even though you might not think he's that good, they traded a 23-year-old guy for Derrick Rose, an inspiring contract. I mean, it's just moves like that that just didn't make any sense. So they should move in that direction. Uh, I think if Carmelo wants to stay there, it can be fine. Their goal for the next six weeks should be to lose as many games as possible, try to get as good a draft pick as possible, and get another young piece to pair with Porzingis and move forward there. So that 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 would be my path for them. We'll see if they try to do that. What are your thoughts on the Heat, and do and do you think they can make the playoffs? I think they can make the playoffs. I mean, they're what, only a, a game or two out, I think, right now? Um, they had their crazy 13-game winning streak. I, I think it's a testament to... Yeah, they're, they're one game behind Detroit right now, I, and they, they've won, I mean, who knows how many. I think they were 11, I want to say they were 11 and 29 or something, so they they might be, you know, like something like 16 and 3 um, in their last 19 games, something like that. I mean, it, it's been a remarkable um, been a remarkable run for them. It's a testament to how hard that organization works and how much they care about doing, you know, building a culture and doing things the right way. That being said, it's really hurt them in the long term. They needed a good draft pick this year. They could have gotten you know, a very high pick and a loaded draft and to go with Justice Winslow and to continue building. And, you know, now, right now, they're, I think they're, what are they, the 14th team? Yeah, they're the 14th team in the lottery right now. I mean, that that hurts. You know, that that's going to hurt if you go from a, you know, they were in the top five a month ago and or a month and a half ago, and now they're 14th. I mean, that, that long term could hurt a lot. Still could get a great player there. I mean, Devin Booker got drafted 13th, so it's possible to get, a, you know, a, a franchise player that late. But, you know, they needed another young guy, and it'll remain to be seen if that hurts. But but look, that that's a very proud organization that that values winning and 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 playing hard and, and showing up every night. And Eric Spolsch is a hell of a coach and, and he's proving that this year. What uh was hiring Tibbs a mistake? No, it wasn't. They're not playing as well as people thought, but they uh you know they they and they're you know they're struggling a bit, but um you know, but I, I think that they're uh I, I think that they're gonna be okay in the long run and and it'll be uh you know, it, it'll be fine. I mean, it, this is a bump in the road. They'll get another good pick, and it'll be uh, it, it'll be good. Um, are the Spurs a tougher test for the Warriors than a healthy Cavs team? No. Uh, I talked about this earlier. I think Tony Parker and Pau Gasol together are a bad combination in the playoffs. I don't think that fit's going to work out very well. I think that could be bad. So, um, so I'll say that uh, I'll say no that, that they're not a tougher test. And I actually think Houston is a tougher test than the, the Spurs are in the playoffs. Um, why is so-called, quote, playoff basketball, quote, basically getting guys getting away with fouls is not the same game, it's grab and hold. That's not true. Um, there's some holding in the playoffs, but look, the officials aren't going to, to allow guys, or they're not going to want to get in the way in the playoffs. I mean, you look in every sport, you know, in, in, in football, playoff games are more physical, and basketball, playoff games are more physical, same in hockey, um, you know, in baseball, stuff is called tighter, um, you know, pitchers get a little more latitude in the playoffs. I mean, it's just the way it works. I mean, the the officials want these games, especially the most important games. They want all games, but especially the most important games to be decided by the players. So I, I think that that's uh, you know I think that that's something you have to remember when you're when you're thinking about this stuff. Uh, what would the Warriors fear more, Bogut to the Cavs or Rockets? I say Rockets. Uh, I, I don't think they really care. I mean, I, I personally think Andrew Bogut on the Cavs during the finals would be rather amusing. Uh, would lead to a lot of funny comments from Bogut, who's you know people might not know this, but he's he's one of the more irascible and, and entertaining guys in the league from a quote standpoint. So him being on the other side during the finals could be intriguing, but uh, I, I don't think that the Warriors are, are exactly concerned about, you know, which of those teams Bogan ends up with. I mean, he'll, he'll probably play a, a small role either way and, you know, we'll see how it plays out. How are you liking the new look Raptors? Switchy and tough with just enough scoring. I, I've been vo- very vocal. I thought that getting Serge Ibaka and PJ Tucker made the, the Raptors the winners of the trade deadline. Thought it was tremendous for them. Um, I think it's something that should, uh, 
that that should really serve them well moving forward. So uh, um, I, I think they're the number two team uh, in terms of talent behind Cleveland in the Eastern Conference. I think if they're on the opposite side of the bracket from the Cavs, you have to favor them to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals for a second year in a row and take them on again. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I like them a lot. And uh, I, I thought it was a good move by Osiris Giri to push his chips in and basically trade, you know, Terrence Jones in a late first for um, for P.J. Tucker and, and Serge Ibaka. I think it's a grand slam trade, and uh, it's something I would do. Um, it was something I would do over and over again. Uh, is there any hope for the Knicks ever? <laughs> I could just joke and say no, but I mean, look, the, the problem for teams like the Knicks and the Kings is that uh, now I've said this many times: ownership is what matters in in sports. It obviously having a guy like LeBron can change things, but. You look at the teams that are good, and generally they're stable franchises with successful long-term owners who let their guys do their jobs. And, you know, that's the way it is in San Antonio. It's the way it is in Oakland. It's the way it is in Miami. Um, you know, for a lot of these guys, that's how it works. And, um, you know, the Knicks need to prove that they can be run properly. And that goes the same goes for the Lakers right now and the situation they're in. Same goes for the Kings, situation they're in. You know, until those teams are run better, they are. it's going to be tough to have hope. But, yeah, Chris Desporzingis... You have the potential to get another high pick in this year's lottery. You say you win the lottery and get Marco Fultz, go with them. All of a sudden, you got a foundation of a championship team, potentially. So it could still work out anyway. Do bio players really make a difference one way or the other? No. And thank you for this question. This is a great question. So many people freak out about where these bio guys are going, whether it's Bogut or Jose Calderon or Brandon Jennings or, or, or any of these guys. And the exception to the rule is what happened last year with Joe Johnson, who went to Miami and was great for the Heat. That's the exception. Normally, the rule is these guys go and they barely play. I mean, P.J. Tucker made one shot for the Celtics in 2008 and his lion eyes for it. It was a big shot. Or P.J. Brown, not P.J. Tucker. P.J. Brown made one jump shot in, in the 2008 playoffs for the Celtics and was lion eyes for it. But he didn't really do anything else. And while that, uh, while that, was, a, while that was a nice, a nice, a nice moment, it also wasn't you know, a, a, a thing that determined the championship that year. So... You know, could Dar- I think Darren Williams this year could have a big impact for Cleveland. I think he's still got a decent amount left in the tank and, and is exactly the kind of, you know, playmaking guard that the, the, the Cavs needed to, to play, you know, as the second unit point guard to play with LeBron next to him. I mean, I, I, think, that, I think that could really help them. But most of these other guys are, are, you know, like Brandon Jennings could come in and really significantly help as a backup point guard. I mean, he's still a younger player. A lot of these guys like Calderon and Bogut, I mean, these guys are just not going to play very much and are, they're, they're just kind of window dressing for these teams at this point. Can or should the Pelicans upgrade a point guard? Holiday is decent numbers, but they seem hollow. Drew Holiday is one of those underrated players in the league. He is, um, he is a terrific player. Um, he is a terrific player and, and is somebody that is very underrated. And I, I think that until people figure that out, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to, uh, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that people need to figure that out. And, and he, he's not a guy that they can just easily replace. Will Nerlens Noel command a max in restricted free agency? It's a great question. I don't think he'll get a max. I think he'll probably get somewhere in the in the same plumly like four to sixty to four to eighty range. Still a lot to pay. That's why I wasn't as high on that trade as other people. I think you know Nerlens has talent, but but paying him that much money could be tricky. Um, so I would I would personally stay away from that. Um, I just don't. Uh, I just don't. I just don't know if that's going to be a great long term investment. But Mark Cuban pay, traded for him with the intent to pay him, obviously, and I'll be very surprised if. Uh, if this winds up going, if this winds up going in another direction, uh, is the amnesty clause still applicable? The answer to that is no. Uh, Joe Kim Noah is a perfect candidate for such. This is true. Incredibly bad contract. This is also true. Come on, Phil. Uh, 
I was the one who broke the story that Joe Noah was going to sign a four-year contract for about $18 million a year. Uh, back in late June last year, he wound up signing for exactly that, four for 72 with the Knicks. Um, you know, that was that was the, the worst-kept secret in the NBA. Obviously reported three days before free agency started. Um, disastrous contract from the moment it was signed, one of the worst in the league. The, uh, the, the Knicks needed... Uh, as I said earlier, to, to sign young guys, to build around young guys, said they signed a guy who's got on one leg and is 31. Um, I, I love Joakim Noah. He's an incredible. He's been an incredible player in the league. He's a, a, a incredible locker room presence. Uh, he's a great guy. At the same time, uh, at the same time, it's it, it, that contract was never going to be good. And uh, you know, you you see the way this has played out now. Um, it's been a disaster this year. It's just going to get worse. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because it's a, it's a great player who got a chance to come back home and play. And, uh, you know, it, it just didn't, um, it just, it just hasn't worked out the way that he, uh, the way that he had hoped it would. Um, what are the odds that the Pelicans keep their pick? Not great. They're top three protected. Um, the, the pick is top three protected, so they could jump up. But look, I mean, right now, you know, after this, after this rough start, you know, New Orleans, their record is... 23 and 37. They are now third to last in the Western Conference, or in 13th place, and they're actually sixth in the lottery standings. So, you know, it's not impossible that they jump up and keep their pick. And wouldn't that be incredible if the Pelicans jump up into the top three and after trading Boogie Cousins, the, the Kings don't, don't even get a first round pick this year? I mean, that would be a catastrophically bad situation for them. I mean, hopefully, if you're Sacramento, what you hope is that Philly falls off, you fall off, New Orleans falls off, and they wind up with two top 10 picks in this year's draft. They keep their pick that would have gone to the Bulls, and they get a top 10 pick from the Pelicans. That is the best case scenario uh, for the Kings, where even though they can't win the lottery because they agreed to another ridiculous trade to swap picks with Philly no matter what, um, at least if they could get two top 10 picks in this draft with, with a lot of good players in it, they could they could begin to rebuild things. But you know, given given the way things have gone in in uh, in Sacramento, won't surprise me at all to see to see the Pelicans jump up and even win the lottery uh, with that with that trade and uh, and keep Boogie Andrew Holiday and uh, and Anthony Davis and then add another young guy and then they're really cooking. And meanwhile, the Kings have nothing. You know, they get a they get a first round pick next year, but by then the Sixers the the Pelicans will be better and. They won't even be in this draft, which you wanted to be in, and it will just really be a uh, a complete, complete disaster. So uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that how that all shakes out. Um, what do you think of the handling of injuries by Sixers management? Uh, Bayless, Simmons, and now Embiid. Um, I mean, look. I think some of this is bad luck. I mean, uh, on the one hand, Sam Hinkie drafted you know Joel Embiid, knowing that he had some injuries. Um, you know, I think that that. Uh, I think that that uh, you know I think that that had to be expected. Obviously, Ben Simmons was the unlucky thing. Um, that was the unlucky thing uh, having him break his foot the first week of camp, and now he's gonna you know miss the season, which is a shame. Um, you know, I would say uh, I, I would say that you know I, it's it's always hard to judge that stuff from the outside because you don't know how these things work. I mean, some teams just get unlucky with that. Some teams aren't doing things the right way in terms of injury prevention. So. I would say that you know it's it's easy to cast aspersions, but again, this is why this is why Philly took a bunch of swings, right? The, the whole Sam Hickey theory was that take as many swings as you can, and over time it will pay off for you. So you know that that's kind of how that's kind of how you have to look at it. And you know, so I think as I'm gonna as I'm gonna run out these uh, as as I'm gonna run out the podcast here, I wanted to talk a little bit about the story I wrote with Adam Kilgore today. Um, 
this is Monday afternoon, story went up today, uh, about Kevin Durant. I had a, a, a you know long interview with Kevin last week in Oakland ahead of uh, Tuesday's game in Washington, uh, his first game back in D.C. since deciding to sign with the Warriors. And you know, really, I think for the first time, he kind of opened up and talked about his decision to um, – to sign with with Golden State and why the Wizards never really were considered, and you know, not surprisingly, it's gotten some some interesting feedback on social media from people. But you know, I think I think that you know it was really interesting to to hear Kevin talk about why he decided to make the decision he did and what factors went into it. And I think more than anything, you know, the thing that he was um, the thing that he was you know thinking about was that he he just kind of had done everything he wanted to do here and. No, I think I think a lot of times people don't understand the time constraints that are on these guys when they're playing at home. I mean, you know, Chris Herring wrote a really good story about this um, a couple months ago. Uh, I talked to talked to a lot of guys. Talked to Jeff Teague, who was back in Indianapolis. Talked to George Hill, who had been in Indianapolis. They got traded for each other. They're both from Indianapolis. Both point guards. Um, and we went and talked to a lot of guys about what it was like to play at home, and it, it, it takes a certain. Uh, you have to be willing to embrace a lot that comes with it. I mean, you know, like Kevin said, LeBron James got drafted to play for the Cavs. You know, Kevin didn't get drafted to play for the Wizards. If he had, maybe things would be different and he would have been there and never left. But, um, you know, it, it's one thing to to come home and play once or twice a year there and see everybody and then leave again. It's another thing to be there, you know, six months a year, 41 home games, 82 games, plus the playoffs. I mean, just a lot of wear and tear. And you have a guy like him, you know, people talk about it in the story. Um, you know, people around Kevin, you know, from his coach at Montrose Christian and uh, coaches that, you know, recruited him at Texas and Rick Barnes who was his head coach at Texas. I mean, a lot of these guys, as you go through and look, it's just, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that pulls on these guys and, and, you know, people asking for stuff and it, it's just, it's just a lot to deal with. So um, I'd encourage everybody to read the story. I thought it was really good. Um, now I spent some time talking to Kevin. Adam did it. Adam's a terrific reporter. He did a great job tracking down a lot of people from Kevin's life and, and kind of, you know, putting together a vision of, of uh, his recruitment to Texas and how that stuff worked. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a really interesting read. And I think anybody who wants to kind of get a mindset into how Kevin made his decision and did what he want, did what he did um, this past summer, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good read and I, I think people will enjoy it. So, um, you know, thanks to everybody who's read it so far and, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully the rest of you who haven't will, will take the time to, uh, to listen to it. Um, but with that, I think we're going to wrap up the pod here. Um, thanks to everybody for all the questions this week. I'm going to try to get to at least another one this week, maybe two. I'm going to try to get into a two a week schedule. I said that a couple times, but I really want to try to do that over the next few weeks. I've got some downtime, not downtime. I don't really ever have downtime. I don't feel like at this point, but, um, the things have leveled off a little bit in terms of work with the trade deadline gone. And, and there's, there's a chance to actually, um, to actually sit back and, and focus on this stuff. So should be able to start getting into some more pods should be good. be fun to start doing these a lot more and, uh, you know, getting a chance to, um, to kind of do this more because I really enjoy doing it and I uh, hope to do more of them. So um, thanks to, uh, so if, if you want to find my work, you can find me on uh, Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA or on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can find my work in the Washington Post or on the website, washingtonpost.com uh, or on our many apps uh, or on it. You can also be, you can subscribe to the, to the paper through Amazon Prime. Please do that. You can subscribe to, to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, wherever else you can find podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and review. It's always appreciated. Thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States, as always, for the theme music for the podcast. It's always appreciated. Uh, a lot of people love the music. Um, go go search them. It's Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Look them up online. Buy their stuff. It's really good. Um, I've seen them in concert. They're great. Um, and Glenn's a sports dealer at the Washington Post. A good dude. So take the time to go. Uh, take the time to go check that out. Um, with that, 
going to sign off for now. Be back, you know, hopefully on Wednesday. Um, got an idea for a guest. I want to try to set that up maybe tomorrow. And then, you know, like I said, maybe do a third one on Friday. And then we'll try to get into, um, you know, every other week here for, or two times a week here going forward. Try to, you know, get into the play, get get us down into the into the, uh, the NCAA tournament in a couple weeks. I'll be covering some of that. Then we have the playoffs after that, which should be a fascinating run. And then we have uh, then we have free agency and the draft and everything else. So it should be it should be a fun few months in the NBA, just like always. But thanks all of you for as always being along for the ride, and look forward to talking to you all again soon. Yeah.